And please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to Ephesians 5, Ephesians chapter 5, and we will pick up in verse 22, consider down to the end of the chapter. As you turn there, we are continuing once again uh, to look at Christian marriage in our series on the Christian family. It's likely we will probably, after this installment pause here, return to Hebrews maybe for a week or two, and then return back, as this is a good stopping point. But today we look at the husband's duty to his wife. We look at the husband's duty to his wife in love, to love her as Christ loves the church. So let us take up how the Lord directs us in Ephesians 5 to see a picture of Christ's love in marriage, beginning in verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. These are the very words of our God, holy, inspired, and infallible. Let us receive them as such. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, O God, for your word, and we thank you as well that you have ordained preaching, the preaching of the word. So we pray, Father, for the preacher now, for the minister who will preach the word. We pray, Father, that you would enable the minister to decrease, that Christ may increase, so that the people of God here would see the love of Jesus Christ, and that husbands would then, seeing the love of Jesus Christ, would then love their wives in such a way. O God, only you can do such things, not only in the preacher, but also in all that will hear. And even if uh, those here are not husbands, may they all have their hearts open to the love of Jesus Christ for themselves. May they see the love of Christ in the preaching of the word. And so we pray, Father, that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, children, you boys and girls, you may read in many stories. You might read of stories of the knight errant, right, who woos and wins his lady, willing to overcome any foe, any obstacle to win her. 
And the story tends to deal with the winning of the lady, doesn't it? And the story usually ends with the pithy, and they lived happily ever after. But in reality, especially for those of us who are married, we would see that the more interesting and the more challenging story begins after the wedding, after the winning. It is far more challenging. Often in real life, when a man does woo and win his wife, the same energy that he expended into loving her and winning her, we often find dissipates. And his love and his affection are often every place else but on his wife. Once the ring is on the finger, so to speak, he often ceases to delight in her. He often stops being constant in his love for her. And what we find here in the scripture is that is so different from Christ's love for his own bride. You know, Jesus Christ, having gone to the cross in love, he did not just win us on the cross and then leave us, did he? He did not leave us loveless. He is constant day by day, pouring out his love upon us, and he never ceases to. And as we forget about husbands for a moment and we think about our own spiritual walk with the Lord, I think our spiritual malady is often that we think that the Lord demonstrated his love for us on the cross. And yes, that is his highest demonstration. But then he he has ceased to love us. Right? That, that's our spiritual malady, isn't it? We think that the cross was the end of his love rather than simply the greatest and highest demonstration of it. But he continues to love us day by day. He is, as we sang, the good shepherd who every day is pursuing us with his grace and his mercy. And so, husbands, we see that we have a very high calling to love our wives as Christ loves his church with compassion, with constancy, with chastity. And that's our theme today, and what a challenging theme it is, and how many things I have had to repent of just this past week. When you think of a husband's love must reflect Christ's love. And we'll consider this theme under three heads. One is, first, to consider grace. Second, charity or love like Christ's. And third, some counsel for the wives briefly at the end. First, considering grace. And I want to begin here with two matters. I am sensitive to the fact that this series, for many of us, could be a very painful one. There might be wounds in your marriage. You might have suffered cruelty in marriage, maybe a cruel spouse, maybe even divorce due to failures on one party or the other or both. And for that, first I would say, look to the Lord. Look to the Lord for grace and mercy. He is kind and he is merciful. Your sins, you know, if you are a believer, the Lord has covered as you have repented of them. If you're married, I would say as you, you look at these things and maybe there is a good, there is a good wounding of the word in the heart. If you're married, take responsibility for the problems in the marriage that are yours. Seek repentance and change where you have to change. You know, the Lord can heal divisions if a marriage is difficult and you need to seek him earnestly. Pray for your spouse earnestly. Seek your elders if you need counsel. The, the preaching of the word is not the only ministry of the church. Your elders are here for counsel if you need it as well. But what I would say, if your marriage is in difficulty, fight for it. 
Fight for it by the grace of God. Don't grow despondent, but grow in hope that the Lord can heal whatever breaches there are, especially if you are both believers. And if your marriage has ended, consider whatever faults were yours, not the other parties, and go to the Lord and trust that the Lord has covered your sins. What did David do while his son was sick, the product of his sin with Bathsheba? He was in sackcloth and ashes until then, but then when his son died, he arose, didn't he? And he walked before the Lord. He walked humbly with God. What is done is done. He has forgiven you. Uh, You might face consequences for your actions, but now you must resolve to live for Christ. The other matter I wanted to deal with in a series like this is that it can feel like a lot of law. I suppose it can. But these are imperatives given to us by the Lord himself. He does not show us these imperatives without expecting you to follow them, without expecting you to follow them. And we strive by the grace of God to be what God has called us to be in the word of God. You will despair if you see all of this as law and you believe it is all a work of your flesh. That it must never be. It cannot be. And you will despair if you believe that Christ cannot forgive your faults as well as you fall short of the glory of God. He is there to forgive you when you do fall short. But you must seek after the work of God's grace in your life as you seek to follow his laws. It is undeniable that the Lord is calling us to a very high calling in marriage. You know how marriages fall apart, Christian marriages fall apart and end? is by saying, you know, Christ forgives all sin so I can be lazy in my marriage. Or in any other place, really, that the Lord is calling us to obedience. Yes, Christ forgives all sin, but he will also chasten us for disobedience, as Hebrews 12 shows us. We do not follow the Lord's laws to be saved. That would violate the gospel. But to follow his law, to live a Christly life, will bring glory to God and will bring blessings on your home. To follow his law out of gratitude for Christ. It will bless your life. It will bless your home. It will bless your church. It will bless your commonwealth. But never ever forget that all of this that we will do must be by the grace of God. If you pour energy, which you must, into laboring for your marriage, that energy must come from Christ. I always, I have to reflect on this often. I hope you will too. What did the Apostle Paul say of his own labors for the church? 1 Corinthians 15.10 I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but what? The grace of God which was with me. You see that? What was Augustine's prayer? Give what you command and command what you will. That is key. That is key. Give what you command. Enable me to do what your holy will is and command whatever it is you will out of the word of God. And when the church flirts with antinomianism, putting away the law, you find spiritual wreckage everywhere. Everywhere. Marriages are collapsing because there is no spiritual work being expended in marriage. Not discovering the will of God for marriage or seeking to follow his will by God's grace. Now, if the Lord's word, if the Lord's word will transform your mind 
and your heart to see as Christ sees. Not only will these duties become evident and plain in the word, but they will become your delight. They will become your delight as you see the beauty of the Lord's design because you have to believe everything that the Lord ordains is good and beautiful and wonderful. Right? What did, uh, what did uh, Psalm 119.32 say? I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Right? When he enlarges your heart, you say, I will run. I will run in the way of thy commandments. I will seek them earnestly. I will enjoy them. We need the Lord to enlarge our hearts, husbands, for the immense duties that are laid before us. And so in order for the Lord to enlarge our heart, what we are going to look at today is Jesus Christ and his love. Jesus Christ and his love, because it is his love that is the pattern for husbands. We are to love as Christ loves the church. And husbands, if you would first be compelled to see the glorious beauty of Jesus Christ and how he has loved a sinner like you, how that will enlarge your heart and how you will want to show such love, to reflect such love on your bride, to express the kind of self-sacrificial love for our wives must be done in view of Christ's love. And children, boys and girls, how did Jesus summarize the second table of the law? Right? As we think on the law, how did he summarize the second table? To love thy neighbor as thyself. Now this, husbands, has special bearing on us because we are one flesh, aren't we, with our wives? And truly, we are to love our wives as ourselves, as this very text says. And so the second table of the law really does define and, and, uh, and set before us what we are to do through the law of God for our spouse. Well, with that then, these are some preliminary matters I wanted to deal with in this series. Let's consider... Charity like Christ's in our second heading. And this is where we will spend most of our time. Now, if you're not a husband, as I alluded to earlier, please don't tune out of this heading. Because what you're about to hear is a sermon rooted in the husband's need for a Christ-like love. And so all of us, whether husbands or not, are going to be reminded and must be reminded of the Savior's love for us. You are going to be reminded of the love of Jesus Christ for his people. His pure love, his chaste love, his self-denying love, his undeserving love. It reminds you, all of you who believe, that you possess the greatest love of all. So keep that in view as we consider the husband's duties. And with that, let me set our text before you again. Verses 25 through 29. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. Husbands, this is your high calling. To love your wives, even as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it. This love, this is the tenor of Christ's headship. And isn't this what makes us, we'll consider headship, male headship in the home, 
next time. But is this not what makes him so sweet to submit to? We consider Jesus Christ. Remember in Hosea, what is it that we are to call him? Ishi, our husband, aren't we? We saw that in Hosea. So that when he says this, right? When he says, in other words, submit to me, how does he even couch that? If you love me, keep my commandments. And what great love we have for the Lord. And we say, yes, of course, Lord, you have loved me so much. You have said, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And we say, you have laid down your life for me, Lord, and I will submit to you. Lord, you have loved me so well. How could I not, how could I not, out of love, submit to you? Husbands, if you begin with Christ's love, you will understand your headship better which is why we consider headship next. And today, first comes love. So let us remember Christ's love and let us revel in it. Let us first remember that our love will never, never, ever be as pure and perfect as Christ's. Ours is a pale reflection of it. But by the grace of God and by the Spirit of Christ, you can love as, in a way, Christ loved. And so, what does it mean to love Christ, love uh, your wife as Christ loves the church. First, two things, right? First is you consider Christ and his beauty and his love, but then you also consider who the church is, right? Both of those are important. Is the church worthy? Is the church worthy even of Christ's love? No, but he loves her anyway, as sinful, as deficient as she is. He loves you. And the gulf between Christ and his bride is, is infinitely great. And so we have no expectation, husbands, that we are to love only those who, who can be pleasing to us at all times, right? This is that self-sacrificial love. We love as Christ loved. Sometimes our wives will not be, um, will not necessarily please us in every way that we would want to be pleased. And, and sometimes because they are sinners like us, they will sin. But does that mean then that it is right for you to turn off the tap of love, so to speak? No. No. It means to love your wife who might seem unlovely because of her failings. And you think on your failings and how the Lord has loved you in spite of them. He sets his love on us in spite of our sin and our failings. And so let me offer six ways as we consider that, that Christ loves his bride. And I want to begin with desire. Desire. And this should cheer every child of God. You know, it's tempting, I was tempted in this way as well, to begin with Christ's giving of himself for his bride. But what do you know? Christ's love preceded his giving of himself for her, didn't it? It is prior. His love is prior to his demonstration of it on the cross. Note the construction of verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. His love is prior to his giving of himself. It is what actually moves him to sacrifice himself for you. He loves you. That's why he sacrifices for you. His love is a steadfast, unwavering love, a love that never changes. So we remember that too. It is a steadfast love. He has had a desire for us before eternity began, in eternity past, before the world began. And he will have a desire for us after this world comes to its close. Listen to Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. 
Why did the Lord love? But because the Lord loved you. See, his, his heart and his desire was ever for his people. Whenever Christ thinks on his people, he thinks of them in love. God is love, and God looks on his people in love, even, right, when we read the Bible. And, and he says that he chastens us. Is it out of wrath? No. It is out of love, and it is out of pity. Hebrews 12 says the same thing. Psalm 103, verse 13 says he pities us. And so Christ's tender love and desire is ever set upon us. What does he call us in the Bible? And I, these are expressions that really should blow us away if we knew who God is and we knew who we were. He calls us the apple of his eye. He kept him as the apple of his eye, Deuteronomy 32.10. We are the object of his most tender affections. The psalmist could sing, Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Psalm 17.8. We are, church, the apple of his eye, of Christ's eye. We are his desire. In a similar way, husbands must have their desire and tender affection set upon their wives at all times. Men, your wife should always be desired by you. You know, I was reading in Ezekiel 24, and the Lord was going to take the prophet's wife. God could say that Ezekiel's wife was the desire of Ezekiel's eyes. He was the desire of Ezekiel's eyes. That's how Christ sees his bride in Psalm 45, right? We just uh, read it in our call to worship. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. All Ezekiel did then was he loved his wife as Christ loves his church. You know, the difference between us and Christ, of course, is that his affections never change, but ours can And we have to be on guard, husbands. You know, once the affections change, once the desire of our heart is cold towards our wife, then you will find all kinds of evil enter your marriage. You know, you think on this, right? Besides a lack of fear of God, and besides a lack of love for Christ, why would a married man visit a harlot? Why would he go to places on the internet he ought never to go? It's really because, again, outside of a fear of the Lord being cooled and a love for Christ being cooled, the secondary thing that happens is his wife is no longer his desire. His wife no longer has his affections. Because if she did, how would he even countenance going to such a place? Husbands, the Lord is interrogating you now, as he did of Ezekiel. Could he say that your wife is the desire of your eyes? Is your wife the desire of your eyes? The Lord asked the question, what's the answer? The answer must be yes. Your wife should ever be in your mind and in your heart. Wasn't she at one point? Why, if she has been, has she ceased to be desirous to you? You know, at some times, men simply move on and their desire cools because in some ways we are... I suppose, kind of challenge-oriented. I conquered my wife, I wed her, now I move on to the next thing. Well, certainly go from hobby to hobby if you must, or go from challenge to challenge at work, but your wife, she is to always be the desire 
of your heart and your eyes. No matter if you are married for one month or for 80 years, she is to always be the desire of your heart. The Bible's command to husbands is to be ravished with her love. Be taken in by her, this is the word, always. Proverbs 5, 18 through 20 says, Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? The Lord asked the question, why? You must be ravished. And this must be demonstrated husbands in the marriage. Because, you know, Jesus not only says we are his desire, but he meets us, doesn't he? He draws us to daily invitations, daily to commune with him. Our problem is we don't take him up on the offer. But he is ever there to meet with us. He, he says, let me speak a word to you, my beloved, out of my Bible. He says, come pray to me. Come praise me and sing psalms with me. He says he will meet you in corporate worship and he will meet you at the Lord's table. He says, my love is better than wine. He says, let sit under my shade and taste of my fruit. That's how husbands must be with their own wives. They must see that we desire them and not, not just in the marriage bed. How are you showing your wife, men, that there is no one else in the world you would rather spend time with? Remember, she is thy companion. No one else, earthly speaking. How do you show her that there is no one else, earthly speaking, you desire above them? Have you ceased to rejoice that she is yours, men? Some of you might have longed for a wife for a very long time and he has given her to you and then you cease rejoicing. What a thing that is. But what is said of the Lord Jesus to his bride? He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Zephaniah three seventeen. Over us. Hard to believe. Hard to imagine the God of heaven saying that, isn't it? But he does. But he does. Husbands must ever rejoice that the Lord gave their wife to them. Rejoice over the truth of Proverbs 18.22. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth what? Favor from the Lord. Second, Christ shows his love by way of commitment and covenant. When I read, when I read rather, Deuteronomy 7, what did you hear? That the Lord set his love upon you. Do you see the active nature of that? He set his love on you. He has set his love on the church. That is purposeful, isn't it? That's not the sort of um, whimsical feeling that so many feel about love. It is an active setting of love. He did not just fall in love with the church. He set his love upon the church. There's a difference. There's a difference. Otherwise, right, we would wonder with the songwriter, will you still love me tomorrow? But we don't with Christ, do we? We don't because he has set his love on us by way of covenant. And he will never once come close to breaching it. In the same way, men... Your wife should never wonder about your commitment to her. Or at least if she does, it ought never be your behavior that makes her wonder about you. 
It must be her sin instead. Here, Malachi 2.13 again, She is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. You have covenanted with her. You have covenanted to God with her. And you are to have a commitment, a steadfast love, to ever set your love on her. You know, the more she is your companion there, you know, you see that that nature of covenant connected to companionship. The more she is your uh, companion, the less distance there is between the two of you, physically, spiritually, emotionally, the more she will see that you have set your love upon her. You know, it is no sin for a husband to dote on his wife. That is no sin at all, especially in hard times, right? That's why we often take vows. You know, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but it is a very biblical things, uh, thing to, to, to vow. You know, you vow whether uh, in, in the good times or the bad times, you will love, right? For richer, for poorer, for better or for worse, you say, I will set my love regardless of circumstance. What was said of Jesus? Having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. That is setting love. And what did he, why did he love? Why did he love those who are impossible to love, earthly speaking? Because he set his love on them. He made a covenant of grace for them. He loved them unto the end as every husband must love his wife. And so, men, when your wife is in distress, when something has gone wrong, even if you don't think it is a big deal, you need to set your love upon her. And when she is hard to love for your flesh, you set your love upon her. You must actively set your love on her, and you need the grace of God to do it, to ever have compassion for her, to show her grace for her failings too. Christ's covenant of love is called what? The covenant of grace. The covenant of grace. You love your wife with grace. And as I mentioned it in our call to worship, the apostle seems to hearken back to Ezekiel 16 in our text. When the Lord showed his love for his bride when she was cast out and dying. Ezekiel 16, 18 through 9. I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. See, this is an active setting of love. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Then washed I thee with water, yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. Do you see here how he has washed his bride, how gracious and merciful he is, and how he sets his love on one who is even unlovely? Which takes us to the third way he loves us. His is a forgiving love. He forgives us. He forgives our faults. He never holds anything against us. How often has he said to you, husband, right? Husband, think of yourself in your relationship to your heavenly husband. How often has he told you, thy sins be forgiven thee? How often has he said that? Is that not his love, his gracious love to you? Is he not even now at God's right hand pleading what? Father, forgive him. So husbands, you must ever be ready to forgive your wife. If you don't, That root of bitterness grows towards your wife. So let me ask, are you bitter towards your wife right now for any reason? That is contrary to love. In Colossians 3.19, the apostle says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. That plagued Adam after the fall, didn't it? He became bitter against Eve. 
He, he, he tells the Lord what? It was this woman that you gave me. And bitterness against your wife is really bitterness against God. As Adam demonstrated, it is the first step to putting her away from your heart. And when you are bitter against your wife, you forget that it is the Lord. It is the Lord who gave the woman to you. Which is why the apostle says, love them and be not bitter against them. Marriage, as it is between two sinners, will require constancy in forgiveness. Constancy in forgiveness. A willingness to forgive at all times. And oh, (sighs) how we praise the Lord that this is how Jesus is towards us. How would it be, men, if Jesus wasn't always ready to forgive us? We would have no hope. We praise the Lord that his prayer is, Father, forgive them. Do not grow bitter against your wife. And if there are areas today where you are bitter towards her, resolve that bitterness. And yes, sometimes it might take a necessary rebuke in love, speaking the truth in love to your wife. But bitterness, it must be put away. Bitterness overshadows your affections. It is really a poison pill in marriage. Purge it out of your heart as leaven. This is where... This is where we find so many marriages in the church start to go really poorly and then start to head towards even, God forbid, divorce, bitterness, one to another, an unwillingness to forgive and to walk in love. Fourth, and this flows from that, Christ's love is sacrificial. His forgiving of you was sacrificial, as you know. The gospel is Christ, what, giving himself for you so that instead of wrath, you have love. That is the gospel. Verses 25 through 26. Husbands, love your wife, wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and here it is, and gave himself for it, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. He gave himself for you, church. He is the Savior of the body, giving himself. He did it for his wife's well-being, to cover his wife's sins. He gave himself. Now, husbands, you are not Christ. You cannot give yourself to save your wife. Only Christ can do it. But what a husband must do is, like Christ, often put her life and her needs even above his own. It is a sacrificial love. It is a sacrificial love. Marriage is, if nothing else, cross-bearing. It is a denial of self, taking up your cross daily and following Jesus Christ. Again, this is what we said when we first began. It is, it is, if you don't see the marriage duties as first following Christ, doing it for Christ's sake and not for your own happiness, everything will go terribly wrong. You do it for Christ. And then everything will go right by God's help. You must, men, give up what you might want at times to better love your wife and care for her. And Christ, this is often on both parties, but I'm speaking to the men primarily. You know, Christ is constantly loving us even when our own love, as I've mentioned, is often cold towards him. Think of how cold your love is towards Christ. Think of how daily, some days you wake up, I suspect, and you don't even have a single thought, a single solitary thought of your Lord 
and your Savior, your bridegroom. He has given you your daily bread that day. He has kept you and sustained you. He has covered your faults that day. He has even given you breath of life. You've not once returned his love, and he loves you anyway. And so husbands must be constant in their love, even for an ungrateful spouse. Never make love contingent on the other person's response to it. I haven't had a chance to send out session meeting notes. I've been too busy. But our session had a time to reflect and meditate on how the Apostle Paul loved the church. In 2 Corinthians 12.15, what did he say? I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Husbands, you have to be willing to say it. I am willing to spend and be spent for you, my wife. Uh, gladly, as the apostle says, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Doesn't matter. Love anyway. Sometimes your wife may not appreciate you. That is okay. You love her anyway. You do it. Why? Because this pleases Christ. See, that's why if you get that straight, every duty becomes easy because you're not really thinking even of your wife and her response. But what does my Lord think? What does my Lord want out of marriage? Am I be pleasing to him? And as I show love to my wife, of course, I love my wife for her being my wife. But first and foremost, I love Christ. You know, the more, most, I was thinking about this of my own heart, the most contentious wife on the face of this earth is less cruel to her husband than I have been to my Savior. Because of me, he had nails driven into his hands and his feet. Because of me, he had his precious side pierced. Because of me, the wrath of God Almighty poured out upon him on the cross. And he did it out of love. As so many have said, it wasn't the nails that kept him there on the cross, but it was his love that kept him there on the cross. And we must see that. And if you find ways to love your wife sacrificially in Christ, the Lord will smile on you. And that means as well, men, that you are to love in deed as well as in word. It's not enough to say every day to your wife, sort of perfunctory, uh, just come in the door and say, I love you, and then walk past her. Christ loved us. He says he loves us, yes, but he demonstrated it on the cross, not mere words. 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. How do you love your wife? In deed. How do you love your wife? Sacrificially. That means also you don't, you have to get this right too, and it sort of flows out of some things I've said, you don't shower her with love in expectation of gain. We add no blessedness to Jesus Christ. He is blessed forever. He's God blessed forever. There's nothing we can do to add to his blessedness, and he loves us with nothing to gain from us. Fifth, Christ loves his bride as his own self. He is one flesh with us, and this is the mystery of the gospel. Verses 28 through 30. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Christ nourishes and cherishes us as his own body. We are called the body of Christ after all, aren't we? And the husband is to do the same. 
Why? This goes back to Genesis 2, doesn't it? The wife and the husband have been made one flesh by the Lord. In Malachi 2, 14, 15, and 15, when he said to live with her as your companion, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant, and did not he make one? You are one in the sight of God. Throughout the scripture, we've seen it in the New Testament, we've seen it in the Old Testament, the oneness of the husband and the wife is stressed. And that is precisely, and this is the mystery, right? The mystery of the gospel. That Jesus Christ loves us as himself, right? We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. You see, to love her, the apostle is saying here, is to love yourself. And really, men, to not love her is then to hate yourself. You actually do yourself great harm, spiritually and otherwise, in not loving her. Whatever distress she is in, you care for her, you tend to her, you show her tenderness, you nourish her, you cherish her. You are to be more eager to show her love than any of your companions, than any of your friends, than any of your family than any of your brothers and sisters in the church. She is your own flesh. Sometimes the wife gets the short stick compared to every other relationship in life. But she is your flesh. She is one with you. And to neglect her is to neglect yourself. And you are never, never to hate her. Is there hatred in your heart for your wife? Has bitterness gone and become hatred? Put it away. What would it be for the Lord to hate you? It would mean your doom. Now the Lord asks, how can any man hate his own flesh? In other words, you might as well, if you're going to hate your wife, you might as well carve yourself up, men. That's what he says. You're destroying your own souls. That's why in 1 Peter 3, he said your prayers are being hindered. Your prayers are hindered. You are not to hate your wife. You are to love her with all her faults as a daughter of God. Because the Lord sees your hatred in your heart. He sees the evil there. The Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Malachi 2.14. God is your witness, men. If you have hatred for your wife, put it away. And to love her as one flesh means to abide with her as your companion for life closely. Peter said last time, I'm not going to reiterate all that, but he said, dwell with her with knowledge. 1 Peter 3, 7. You are to be close to her. You are to be a student of your wife. If she is one with you, you are to know her. You are to know her strength. You are to know her weaknesses. You are to know her sinful tendency. You are to know her graces and her gifts. You are to know how to minister to her. She is the chief person in your life the Lord has entrusted you, uh, has entrusted to you. As I have said before, not even your children, but your wife. You need to know how to love her. Each woman, as we saw last time, is unique. And you need to know how do I love this particular woman, my own wife? How do I dwell with her with knowledge and understanding of her? If you are a student of your wife, if you love her in view of who she is, how blessed your marriage will be. You are to grow as close to her as you can in this life. You know, when you think of the Lord's love, uh, these are 
sometimes texts that are, again, hard to understand. But he says he desires. He doesn't just dwell with us, right? Maybe that could be understood. Even that's hard. But he says he desires to dwell with us. Psalm 132, 13 and 14. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. You are to desire your wife, and if you do, you will ever want to dwell with her, your one flesh. That is part of the leaving and cleaving to your wife, husband. What did Jesus say? You think of this, right? You think now of him as our husband. He said, abide in me and I in you. John fifteen four. You see how the Lord's love causes him to want to dwell with us. You know, it's an interesting thing. I was thinking about our Presbyterian synod meetings. We have another Presbyterian meeting coming up soon. You know, at first, it's so fascinating. You know, we come into the Presbyterian meeting. At first, the men are always so excited to see one another and to meet one another and to catch up with each other. But as the days roll on, so many of us say virtually the same thing. You know, I love you all, but I miss my wife. Right? If you're excited to be away from your wife, men, and you are excited by that, something is terribly wrong. Sixth and lastly, make sure to praise her, men. Praise her. First, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that he has given her to you, that he has given you your wife. As Proverbs 18.22 says, he has given you a good thing and he has shown you favor. And when you praise the Lord, what you have to see spiritually is that your heart towards your wife will change drastically. When you can praise God that he has given you this woman, your heart to her will change. He shines on you when you praise him for her. He will deal specially with many difficulties. But if you cannot praise God for your wife, do not be surprised as you face hardships. If you take her for granted, what are you doing? You are really taking the Lord for granted. That's the truth. And that's where it always begins. It begins with him and the gift giver, isn't it? Which is why men who take their women for granted will find great difficulty. Not first because they have taken her for granted, but because they took God's gift for granted. You remember from our day of Thanksgiving, of Hezekiah, but Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up, therefore there was wrath upon him. Second Chronicles thirty two twenty five. Sometimes when we don't we don't praise the Lord for the woman God has given us, the chastening that comes on us because God is due praise for giving us our wives, sometimes the chastening that comes to a husband is that the woman becomes challenging. Why? Because he did not praise God for her. Just as Adam did not praise God for Eve, instead was bitter towards God for her. But also, after praising God, praise her too. Christ praises his bride. Psalm forty-five, thirteen: The king's daughter is all glorious within. Isn't that a staggering thought? That the Lord sees the church this way. He beautifies her, yes. But when he sees her, he sees her beauty, doesn't he? He sees her graces. You know, as, as far as east is from west, so has he removed her sins from her, so that all he sees is the beauty and righteousness of Christ in her. And men, especially as your wife is a believer, you are to see the beauty 
and righteousness of Christ in her as well. That said, as Christ does, husbands are to praise their wives. Isn't that what Proverbs 31.28 says? Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Children, you've heard, praise the Lord for your mom. Praise the Lord for your mom. And praise her as well for her love and kindness to you. And husbands, you also praise her for her work. Praise her for her love. Show her that you see her labors and that you are grateful to the Lord for giving you a help meet for you. Praise her even in the, what the world would consider small things, right? The world doesn't find these things consequential, but they are very consequential. Praise her for her cooking. Praise her for her raising of the children and sacrificing. I know, especially in this congregation, so many of the wives have sacrificed much to be with the children all the day long. They have not had a single solitary. I know my wife, uh, she regularly um, mentioned how difficult it was, and I was not as kind as I ought to have been when the children were much younger. They've gone all day not speaking to a single adult. Can you praise her for it? Praise her for raising these children. Praise her for the care she shows you in things both great and small. But it all begins with praising the Lord for her. When you recognize her gifts and her graces, praise the Lord for her. And he will change your heart to her. And he might very well, if you have a challenging marriage, change her heart to you in honoring you for honoring him. Well, husbands, your calling is to love your wives then as Christ loves his church. And I hope, and this has just been a quick survey, this survey of how Christ loves is helpful for you all. Husbands, wives, singles, children, uh, older people. See how greatly Christ loves. See how greatly Christ loves us. You know, if you, husband, right, when you say, say, this is hard, give glory to Christ that he loved you in such a hard way as this, that he loved the unlovely, and he labored to love you, that he set his love on you, you and I who are hard to love, and it is in view of his love, right? What did the Jews say in astonishment to Jesus Christ? Behold how he loves. They couldn't believe it, John eleven thirty six. And so as your heart is loved with, uh, is warmed with the love of Christ, and you see that you must love her as he loved us, or has loved you, your duty is to love her, even if she is contentious or she is sweet and pleasant. Only then can you love and understand the duties of headship and leadership, so that you will not lord it over her, but be a helper for her joy. That'll be next time. And I want to conclude briefly with counsel for wives. Well, wives, what do you do? What do you do when your husband does not show this kind of love to you? What if this survey, and I'm aware of it, maybe the survey has filled some of you with grief. My husband is not this man, pastor. Well, first, sister, remember, Christ is this man. Christ is this man. So you go to him and you rejoice in his love, sister. You rejoice that he has perfectly loved you and he will perfectly love you and he will always perfectly love you. Second, even the very best of husbands are very often not what they ought to be in some measure. But you pray that the Lord would do a mighty work in your husband. You go to the Lord in prayer. You take up this text, right? And you ask the Lord to give your husband this heart. 
What you must not do and what you must not be is to say, well, because my husband is not this, I then have the right to become contentious. I then have the right to be bitter towards him. I have the right to seethe against him. I have the right to be vindictive against him. No. You don't say, I guess he's not living up to his part and I will not have to live up to my part. No, sister, all of us are called to do our particular role and particular duty because we are not doing it for our husband. We're not doing it for our wife. We are doing it for Christ. We labor as unto the Lord, even to those masters who are not uh, good and they are cruel. Just as a husband cannot put away his wife because she does not always model reverence towards him, neither can a wife cease to be a wife to one who fails his duties to her. And I will say, don't forget that wives can give a loving rebuke, a loving rebuke, when a man is blind to his duty towards her. Let him know there's a reason the Bible says two are better than one, which is often that we men need a help meet for us to expose our own failings. We're often blind to them. But what you have to do is express your husband's failing, your grief as grief, not as bitterness, and not with hatred towards your husband. Sometimes as the husbands are bitter, wives can be bitter when their husbands fall far short of this text. And they can think that their bitterness is justified, but it is not. Take it to the Lord. And the reason that we are in churches like this, biblical churches, is that you can come and seek counsel together with your elders if you cannot resolve the matter in your own home after you have tried. And we praise God for biblical church government then. Always, always remember that the Lord can heal any breach. You have to have your hope set in him. Your hope is not set in husband or wife. Your hope is in the Lord. And remember then that your hope is in him, as we heard this morning in Luke's gospel, and you are to keep that faith. And husbands, as we thought on rebukes, a loving and discreet rebuke from your wife is to be taken well. Well, with time being what it is that would lead into a sermon on conflict resolution, we probably will have one of those in our series on marriage. But for today, let us rejoice and conclude by giving thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ and his love. And let us always render according to the benefits that he has given to us. Let us render praise and thanks to God that to us who believe is a love pure, chaste, giving, and selfless. And so let us all leave this place looking forward to that great marriage, that great marriage of the Lamb. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Revelation 19.7, to which we say, Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us rise for prayer if we are able. Next time we will consider the duty of husbands as leaders in the home when we return to this series, but we leave marriage there for now. Let us pray. Father in heaven, oh how we rejoice over Jesus Christ, whose banner that is set over us is love, who has conquered us with his mighty gospel, who has turned our hearts from hatred and enmity to God to love instead, not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. He has set his love upon us. O oh, Father, how we rejoice in the love of Christ. And we pray, Father, now that all husbands here would seek to love their wives even as Christ has loved them.
We pray, Father, that you would give them uh, a love for Christ and a love for their wife. Would you help those of us who are married seek to model this text by the grace of God? Help us labor. Help us labor, Father, for our marriages. Help us seek the grace of God so that we could say, as we look on our marriages and you heal the breach, that it was not I, but the grace of God that did it. Oh Lord, would you be glorified in our marriages? And if any here do not know Christ and have for the first time encountered the love of Jesus Christ for sinners, may this be the day they believe. Give them faith to believe, Father, the precious gospel, and may they be born again this day. We ask all this now for the sake and glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.